this morning's reading is taken from Math, um, Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 30 and can be found on the Pew Bibles on pages 1010 and 1011. Mark 7 verses 24 to 30. The faith of a Syrophoenician woman. Jesus left the place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus, drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words, uh, for the ways in which you speak to us uh, through your words. And in this season of Lent, where we're looking at where different people encountered uh, Jesus, we pray that we too would have a fresh encounter with you this morning. In your name we ask. Amen. Every so often, uh, as, as a vicar, you put together a sermon series, uh, you put different people down for different passages, and you put yourself down uh, for one, and then you look a little closer at it, and you instantly regret doing so. Um, this is one of those times as we look at the story of the Syrophoenician woman. It's no doubt uh, one of the most uh, confusing, complicated, and difficult passages in the Gospels. If you've been reading Mark's Gospel, uh, it may be one that you kind of glossed over a little bit uh, and didn't really know what to make of it, because when you read it, it doesn't really look like the Jesus that you think you know, uh, the Jesus that you seem to know, because he's using unusual language. Uh, he seems to be doing something really quite odd here, because what he's essentially saying uh, to this, this lady who's come to him asking for help, uh, he calls her a dog, which isn't a great start, uh, and then he goes on to say that I haven't come for you, I've come for the children of Israel, and it seems so countercultural to what we know uh, Jesus to be like. And because of that, there are some shocking interpretations of this passage out there. And I'm, I mean some really bad ones. Uh, there are some that I've read that have made me laugh, some that I've read that have made me cry, and some that I've read that have made me just really angry. <laughs> just that how could someone interpret this passage in this particular way in what we know of Jesus? One particular one uh, was that Jesus was having an off day. Uh, that he was just in a bit of a bad mood and, and really was just d dismissing this woman because he was just a bit fed up with people. Um, but we read, obviously, in Hebrews that Jesus was like us, yet was without sin. 
Others have said that he's simply joining in with the culture of the time, that it was really normal for people to speak about Greek women in this particular way, and Jesus was just joining in with the culture uh, to fit in or to make a point or whatever it may be. Now, Jesus was definitely using the language of the culture, but he certainly wasn't joining in, because we know through everything we see about Jesus, he came to show us a different way. A different way from how the world was living and how society was living. And this is the one that really got me. The woman was teaching Jesus to be more like Jesus. I mean, come on. The woman was teaching the Jesus to be more like Jesus. I don't think that's really... Uh, theologically sound at all. But the difficulty is that what a lot of these people are doing is they're picking up this passage uh, from Mark chapter 7 out of its context, placing it in front of them and saying, right, let's make sense of this. And you can't do that with a passage like this. There's no way you can do that with a passage like this. This sits within a much wider context and it's crucial, vital, so important that we see that context when we're looking at a passage like this so that we fully understand what's going on. Because the wider context here, particularly in relation to Jesus' relationship with Jews and Gentiles, and it's a really important one, Jesus is in the middle of teaching, both in Mark's account of this and in Matthew's account of this, is he's in the middle of teaching about cleanliness. He's in the middle of teaching about this whole, the rules and regulations that Jews have put on people, uh, or that that God people that the Jews have have twisted and changed, the Pharisees particularly have twisted and changed and and Jesus is saying look no no cleanliness is very different from the way you approach it but cleanliness is is an inside out thing not an outside in thing uh, and, he, and he's saying that, you know, from the heart, all that kind of thing. Jesus is doing that teaching. He's, he's showing them a, a new way of, of approaching one another, of relating to one another, relating to the people around him. And you can't possibly say that Jesus has no intention to heal Gentiles because he's just done it. Just before this passage, he's done it already. He's already healed a Gentile and he's going to go on to heal many more after this passage. But this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry, which we will hopefully see. You also need to understand Mark's aim as a whole. In writing the Gospel of Mark, it is agreed, widely agreed, that Mark's audience was a largely Gentile audience. He was writing to non-Jews to reveal to them the person of Jesus Christ. And so why would he include a passage like this if the message of Jesus was, we're not here for the Gentiles? Because the whole point is that Jesus was here for all of us, for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. And so we need to understand Mark's wider audience as well. But the most important thing is to understand that when you see a passage like this, it's probably not about the Syrophoenician woman. There's a wider picture here. It says here that Jesus has withdrawn from a a bigger crowd that have been following him. He's just fed uh, the 5,000 people. Uh, There are many, many people following him. And in that crowd of people following him, uh, people who are watching his every move, waiting for him to trip up, waiting for him to do something that will give them cause to arrest him. Wanting him to do something that's just going to show that he's off his rocker or whatever it may be. There are also those genuinely following him, wanting to find out more. There are those wanting to hear what he has to say about the kingdom of God. And they're just following him around. And Jesus is trying to withdraw to a quiet place. And he tries to go into a house to find a bit of refuge and safety. But it makes it very clear in this passage he's not able to do that because this woman comes barging in. Now how does the woman know where he is? It's most likely thought because the crowd followed him. 
This massive crowd were not going to let Jesus get away that easily. Having seen the things that he's already done, having heard the things he's already teached, this crowd are following Jesus everywhere he goes. And so it's thought, most quite widely, that Jesus is in the house, and what he's doing here is he's seeing this as a teachable moment, not for the woman, although she will learn from it too, but for the people peering in through the window, who largely would have been made up of the Pharisees and the people who are against Jesus. There's a big picture going on here, and this is a teachable moment for Jesus. We also somehow seem to assume that this woman is poor and lowly. Probably because it says that she came down, she got down on her knees and she begged Jesus. And that just makes you assume that she's poor, doesn't it? When you read something like that. But actually because uh, she says, and in some translations it depends how you translate it, but we find out later that her daughter is at home in bed. In one particular interpretation it says that she was at home on the couch. Now the fact that her daughter was not on a mat on the floor suggests that actually this woman possibly had some wealth. And so she comes to Jesus, although she would have been looked down as a Greek woman by the Jews, they would have looked down on her, and and the the dog phrase was a phrase that would have been used, it would have been thrown around a lot for people like her. Socially speaking, she was more likely to have been either Jesus' equal, possibly even his superior. And so there would have been a sense of mutual respect between these two people, between Jesus and and this, uh, this woman who has come to ask for his help. You see, the danger that we seem to make when we look at passages like this out of their context is that we fail to see something extremely important. And that is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, we know, was fully God, and Jesus, we know, was fully human means there are times where I think Jesus is playful and slightly wistful, that Jesus can say things with a bit of a wry smile, a bit of different intention to how we read it. Because when we read a passage like this, what we don't see is his face. What we don't hear is his tone of voice. And Jesus says, right in this moment, I have an opportunity here to teach the people outside these windows something very important about the kingdom of God and how I'm going to operate from this day onwards. In how I pray for people, in how I heal people, in who my message is for. And so, in the opening sentence, Jesus says that whole kind of thing about dogs uh, and that Jesus has come for the children and not for the dogs. What he begins by doing is saying exactly what the pharisaical leaders at the time wanted to hear. Exactly what they expected Jesus to say. So the moment Jesus said that, they would have puffed up their chests and gone, yep, that's right, he's come for us, not for you. He's here for us, the people of Israel. He's not here for you. What, are you, what on earth is that woman even think she's doing? And then here's what I think happens. When you imagine the humanity of Jesus, is that knowing this woman has some intelligence about her, he almost turns to her with a wink and a nudge and spurs her to go on with her request. Because I think she's worked out what Jesus is doing in this moment. And then she goes, oh, oh, but Jesus, even the crumbs... 
pick up the crumbs, even the dogs pick up the crumbs of those who are at the table, don't they? And Jesus is like, yeah, they do. You're right, they do. And I think the reason he does that is because this is what I think the message is that he has for the Pharisees stood at the window looking in. And even if not for them, for the people who would later go on to be Mark's audience and Matthew's audience, because Matthew accounts this as well, writing to a largely Jewish audience. And I think the message is this. These Pharisees around me, the people who should have accepted me for who I am, the people who should have recognised me as the Son of God, You've had your chance, and you blew it. And even the dogs have more faith than their supposed masters. Do you see what Jesus is teaching here? Even the dogs have more faith than the supposed masters of those dogs. And so Jesus is saying, she's right. She's right. Because of her faith, her daughter's going to be healed. And there's this huge shift in what Jesus is teaching. And here's something, as I've been looking at this passage and discovering more about the humanity of Jesus and, and just seeing how, trying to picture what his face might have been like. And obviously I'm aware this is largely speculation, but it also largely comes from sort of how you see, how you relate to Jesus and how you get to know Jesus the more you study his word and the more you get to know him. And the more you realise that Jesus is relational, not religious. Uh, and, and then you see this, this kind of this humanity of him coming through in this passage. And the thing I've come to realise this week, and I only really kind of had this proper kind of full understanding yesterday, is that the, 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 the Pharisees of Jesus' time, who were most religious, struggled with the divinity of Jesus. That was what they came up against. The most religious Christians in the world today struggle with his humanity. It's quite an interesting paradox, isn't it? The most religious people of Jesus' time struggle with his divinity. The most religious Christians of our time struggle with his humanity. And here is Jesus in this moment, fully God and fully human, seeing an opportunity to teach not only the woman, but also the people around him an important lesson. And then everything he goes on to do after that in the rest of Mark's Gospel, just proves the point over and over and over again that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Every healing, every miracle, which ties back to the story of Israel. Everything that Jesus does, as we said, has a reference to something in the Old Testament to show and show again, I am the fulfilment. And this woman has recognised that in ways that these children of Israel have not. And so there's a shift and a change in that moment. Jesus is still very much for the children of Israel. He very much has still come for them, but not them alone. He's come for all. And it's an incredible thing. And so what this shows us in Lent is to make ourselves wary of that pharisaical, I can never say that word, position. Because what we need to make sure that we do is that before we make any value judgment on anybody else, 
we have to examine how secure our own assumed position is. Because when it comes to the Pharisees, sincerity doesn't really matter. Because you can be entirely sincere, yet sincerely wrong. It's possible to be entirely sincere, yet sincerely wrong. And so there's an opportunity, I think, for us when we look at a passage like this to see how Jesus handled this situation, what it was he was showing the people around him at the time, and what it shows me is that when we are looking at Jesus or others through such religious eyes that we fail to see their humanity, we're in a dangerous place. And I think there's a lot of people living in that place in our nation at the moment. Because what Jesus' call for us is to see others as the people that he made them to be. The people that he died for. The people that he lives for. The people that he's desperate for relationship with. And so I think this was an incredible encounter. And I've had incredible encounters this week trying to understand it. I'm not promising that that interpretation that I've just shared is the right one or the only one. But it's the one that for me, I think speaks an incredible truth. That we need to make sure that as we look at Jesus, we see him as both fully God, yes, and fully human. And we remember that he is relational, not religious. And so this Lent, may we grow more and more in our relationship with him, our love of him, and as a result, our love of others. Amen.